Let's bow our heads together as we go to the Lord in prayer with those thoughts we just sang about in our hearts, ringing in our ears. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise You that we can come to Your Word this morning and be reminded once again that yes, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Father, I pray as we come to Your Word together this morning that we would see this truth and and revel in this truth and be reminded of the wonderful truths of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who was punished for our iniquity, punished for our sin, though there was no sin in Him. He was made sin. He was made to be sin for us. Father, what a precious truth we sang of this morning and we're reminded of as we sing these hymns and choruses and what precious truths we're reminded of as we turn to Your Word now. And God, I pray that You would take Your Word and use it in our hearts to meet the deepest needs of our souls. Your Word is is like that and it is precious and we are so thankful for that that Your Word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword goes right to the heart of the matter, right right to our souls with just the truths that we need. And so I pray, God, that as I speak feeble words, you would take your powerful word and use it in our lives in a powerful way and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you go with me to John chapter 1 this morning? John chapter 1 to the text of our study this morning. John 1 verses 14 through 18. Let's look at it together. I want to read from my copy of God's Word. As you look at it in your copy of God's Word, I hope you brought your Bibles this morning. If you did not, there are copies of of, uh, God's Word in the hymnal rack before you. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Let me read verses 14 through 18 this morning, our portion of study. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. This is our third Sunday in John's Gospel, and we've been examining the names for Jesus seen here in chapter 1. There are seven of them. We've come to this series of studies with this reminder from John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31. It's really the the purpose for which John wrote this gospel. Jesus had done many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which John says he did not write about. 
But he says in verse 31 that these are written, and he's talking about what he wrote about here in John's in his gospel. He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now with that importance, and the importance of that truth, it's just really the, the central thought of that passage being the central thought of why John wrote, wrote his gospel. With the importance of that truth, that by believing in Jesus you may have life in his name, we come, we come to John 1, and, and as we came here, it started a couple of weeks ago, we began noting the names John uses for Jesus, and John wants his readers to know who Jesus is, and the purpose for, for telling them who Jesus is and wanting them to know who he is is so that they would do what? So that they would believe. So that they would believe. Here's who Jesus is, John is saying, and I want you to believe. So I'm trying to make it very, very clear who Jesus is. We noted first that Jesus is the, remember the first week, Jesus is the Word, right? Jesus is the Word. He's the living Word. John 1.1 1, 1 points to this, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus is called the Word is because through Jesus is revealed the heart and mind of God. And we can praise God for that. That He reveals his heart and mind, he reveals himself through the, the living word, Jesus Christ. And we understand that because words convey meaning and thought, correct? We, we speak, and we can convey meaning and thought even without words, can't we? But God, God chooses the word, and he says Jesus is the word, the living word. And certainly there can be no greater meaning and thought conveyed than the heart and mind of God. Would you agree with that? There could be no greater meaning and thought than that conveyed than the heart of the mind, heart and mind of God. I think more than anything else, we want to know God. We want to know who He is. We want to know His heart and mind. And Jesus Christ reveals Him to us. And so in Jesus, God communicates very clearly the love that He has for mankind. We sang of it this morning, didn't we? We sang of it. We sang about the love of Christ on our behalf, the love of God on our behalf through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, God communicates His love for mankind, doesn't He? Very clearly, loud and clear. And then we noted that Jesus is, week two, we noted that Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light of life. Verse four says that in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then in verse 9, John calls Jesus the true light. We know this, right? We know this to be true. Light means life. Light means life. What do you do in the morning when the light starts rising over the horizon, right? The light, the sunshine. You start wiping this stuff out of your eyes, right? The sandy stuff. And you go, oh, yeah, wow, beautiful day. Another beautiful day. I hope you do. Another beautiful day. Especially when it's sunny. We say, wow, what a beautiful day. We're ready. Light means life. It brings us to life. In the mornings we say, it's light. And for those of you who work strange shift, it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. 
I've been there. And it's, it's hard. It's like, oh man, it's dark. I shouldn't be up right now. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be up and walking around and breathing right now. I should be in, in a coma in my bed, right? But light means life. Light means life. And we see it. And some of you have told me, you know, you're starting to have these green things poking out of your flower beds. And unfortunately, the frost hasn't quite left yet. And we're struggling with, with, with uh, the challenges of this northern Michigan weather, right? But light means life. And at this time of year, things start turning green because of the light, right? Well, there's many other reasons, but especially because of the light. Light guides us in the darkness. And in the same way, Jesus Christ leads to life. Believing in Jesus, the light means eternal life. The most important life there is. Jesus is life because He is the light. We have forgiveness of sins because Jesus is the light of life. Now today, we come to the third name that we see in chapter 1 for Christ. And that is, and if you were in Sunday school, you know what it is, so maybe I'll hear it from you. (laughs) This third name that we have for Jesus Christ, we see here in John's Gospel in chapter 1, is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. John says here in verse 14 that, look at verse 14 again, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Later in verse 34, John writes that John the Baptist said of Christ, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And then in verse 49, the Apostle John tells us that Nathanael recognized Jesus for who he was and who he is and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now we also see this name for Christ used several other times elsewhere in John's Gospel. Let me just go through those Briefly, John 3.18, we find it. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 5.25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. John 10:36 Do you say of him who do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God Of course Jesus speaking and then John 11:4 when Jesus heard it he said this illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it John 11:27 She said to him, "Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world." And then we also noted it earlier when I read John 20 verse 31, John writes, and this is most helpful to us, John writes in 20 John 20:31, 20, "These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name." Now that statement in John 20.31 makes very clear the importance of this name for Christ. John says he's writing this gospel so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you'll have life in His name. So, So obviously this is an important name that John uses and his use of it really helps us know who Jesus is. Jesus is. The Son of God. 
Now, as we come to our text today, John tells us a great deal about Jesus, the Son of God, and I want to show you what he says and talk about it a bit this morning. Go back to verse 14 again. Let's look at verse 14. Because John makes very clear for us who Jesus is, this Jesus, Son of God, tells us a great deal about Jesus, the Son of God. Verse 14 again says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So so first, John says, The Word became flesh. The Word, here it is, the Word took on humanity. And this is not as in Jesus stopped being God and started being human. Some have said that. That's not what that means. It is as in Jesus in all his deity, in all his, if I can use this, is this a word, godness? Jesus in all his godness put on humanity. In all his deity. He put on humanity. Jesus Christ, both God and man in the same person. Does that challenge your thinking? Challenges mine. I'm more challenged mentally than anybody else in here, but that challenges my thinking. That really challenges my thinking. Jesus Christ, God. Understand that? God come to earth even but taking on a human form, putting on human flesh, and yet he remains God in human flesh. That challenges our thinking, and that's all right. That's why we need that word that starts with an F called faith, right? We need faith. And there's so much in God's word that says, look, just believe. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to figure it out. This is one of them. Don't try to figure it out because you can't. Because you're not God, right? And you don't have the mind of God. And I definitely don't have the mind of God. So, this is the Word becoming flesh. This is God in the form of Jesus Christ coming and taking and putting on human flesh. Jesus Christ, both God and man in the same person. God took on flesh and not only did He take on flesh, but He dwelt among us. I think... Philippians chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7 helps us get hold of this idea more fully when it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And praise God that he did. This is not Jesus being created either. Okay, don't think that. This is not the creation of Jesus. This is not Jesus being created. This is God taking on humanity. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way when he says, Now Christ's human flesh was God's tabernacle, and it is in Christ that God meets with man, and in Christ that man has dealings with God. He says, the Jew of old went to God's tent in the center of the camp if he would worship. We, we come to Christ if we would pay our homage. If the Jew would be released from ceremonial uncleanness after he had performed the rites, 
he went up to the sanctuary of his God that he might feel again that there was peace between God and his soul. And we, having been washed in the precious blood of Christ, have access with boldness unto God, even the Father through Christ, who is our tabernacle and the tabernacle of God among men. That's it. Jesus Christ tabernacled among us in human flesh. He put on the tent of human flesh, so to speak. And Spurgeon points to that next phrase when he talks about the tent and the sanctuary. Look at the words in verse 14. Those words, and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the original, it meant, in the original languages, it meant to pitch one's tent. It carried with it the idea of of, uh, settling down, kind of permanently settling in. And that's just the idea that we get from this statement in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God really came. God really came to live among us. That is astounding to us, isn't it? But He really came. He really put on human flesh to live among us. In the Old Testament, of course, we see God dwelling in the midst of His people in the tabernacle. That's what Spurgeon points to. God came and dwelt in the midst of His people, but He was in the tabernacle. But now, John says that God has come and dwelt among us. Among us. He's not in the tabernacle anymore. He's not in the tent anymore. The power, think about it, the power and the mind and the will of God in human flesh revealed in Jesus Christ Now, does this mean that the Word stopped being the Word when it says that the Word became flesh? No, no, it's not like a change. It's not like a move from the Word to flesh when it says became flesh. It's not like the Word stopped being the Word when it says the Word became flesh. No, no, no. Jesus is still the Word, but He's also taken on human flesh. Jesus is still God, but He's he's now taken on human flesh. It's like becoming a father. When you became a father, when I became a father, I didn't stop being a husband, right? I didn't stop being a son. I didn't stop being a grandson, right? When the Word became flesh, it didn't stop being God. It didn't stop being the Word. He took on human flesh. But that's not all. John goes even further and says, and we have seen His glory. We have seen His glory. And might I just say here that this is why Jesus came. So that people would see God's glory and believe in Jesus. We have seen His glory. That's that's why Jesus came, so that we might see His glory and recognize Him for who He is and believe and be saved from our sins. The evidence was very clear. There were witnesses to the deity of Jesus. It was seen in His glory. Now, Jesus couldn't hide His glory. And how did they see His glory? Well, for one, Jesus' glory was seen by Peter and James and the Apostle John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember? Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 33 tells us the story. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. 
And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we were here. Let me just say, no kidding. It is good that we were here. I'm a little bit jealous. How about you? Here's Peter's idea. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. We just kind of want to keep you here and we want to stay here with you. It says, not knowing what he said. Not knowing what he said. They saw his glory. They saw his glory. So they clearly saw his glory then. And it was a powerful moment for them, right? Because they didn't want to leave there. And we wouldn't have wanted to leave there either. But that's not the only way they saw his glory. It's not limited to that amount of transfiguration experience. They also saw it spiritually. Look at how John describes the glory they witnessed as, as they were with Christ. Verse 14, look at it again. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw His glory spiritually. So first he says, they saw His glory because He is, look at it, glory as of the only Son from the Father. They saw His glory because He is Christ the Father's Son. Jesus the Son of God. Now, being the Word made flesh, being the light of life, Jesus is the glory of God. He is the glory of God. Being God in human flesh, He is the glory of God. He is glorious because of who He is. He's the Father's Son. Jesus, the Son of God. He is glorious because of who He is, says John. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And then John says that they'd seen Christ's glory because He is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now, I don't think we could say this about any human being. I can safely say that this cannot be said about any human being, right? We can say about people, well, they're gracious, right? We say they're gracious because they're kind and mannerisms that are pleasing. They're gracious. Or they're really truthful. But I don't think there's anybody we know that's full of grace and truth. This is Think about this. This is the glory of Jesus Christ that they saw because of who He is. This grace and truth. This is the fullness of Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. And this is essential it's what we proclaim when we tell the gospel. Think about it. This grace and truth that Jesus was full of, the fullness of Christ, the grace and truth, this is the, the, essentially the truth of the gospel that we proclaim when we tell it. We see it back in verse 12. When verse 12 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now think about the meaning of that. He gave the right to become children of God. To all who believed in His name, to believe in Jesus Christ is to believe in the truth. 
Remember, we talked about last week that Jesus was called the true light. He is the word of truth. He is the living word. And to believe in Jesus Christ is to believe in the truth. And to be saved is by the grace of God. And that's why verse 13, I think, reminds us that the new life and forgiveness of sins that we receive when we believe in Christ is, it is not. It is not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but it is of God, as verse 13 says, but by God's grace. By God's grace, we receive life when we believe in the truth, the true light of life, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's the most important way I think the glory of Christ is seen. It is seen in who He is, full of grace and truth. And by God's grace, we're saved from sin when we believe in Jesus Christ. And what He's accomplished for us on the cross, He is the truth. Now look at verse 15. The Apostle John is pointing to another witness who saw the glory of Christ, John the Baptist. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Now the Apostle John reminds us of the witness of John the Baptist. The Apostle John is the one who wrote John's Gospel. And he reminds us of John the Baptist. Just a note here, anytime you see the name John in the Gospel of John, he's talking about John the Baptist. He never refers to himself by name. So anytime you see John in John's Gospel, he's talking about John the Baptist. And so the Apostle John reminds us of the witness of John the Baptist. So from, from that we learned, from what we learned earlier when he was introduced to us, remember back in verse 6 when John the Baptist was introduced to us? What we learned there in verse 6 and then here in verse 15, John the Baptist had said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now that statement is repeated in verse 30. And when studying God's Word, I would suggest you watch for repeated words or statements because often things repeated usually indicate importance. Now what's John the Baptist saying? Why is this important? Well, he's making it clear that though his ministry came on the scene before the ministry of Christ, Christ's ministry is of greater importance, far greater importance than his own. But note that he's also stating the pre-existence of Christ here. Yes, John the Baptist was born first, but he's making it very clear here that Christ is God. Christ is God in human flesh. Thus he says, Christ ranks before me because he was before me. So the Apostle John writes here of his and others' witness of the glory of Christ, which confirms for us who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. And then he points to the to John the Baptist, who also pointed to the Son of God. But he's not done. Look at verse 16. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now John is saying it's, it's not just those who are who were with Jesus. Yes, they witnessed his glory. It's not just those who were with him who witnessed his glory. Not just John the Baptist who witnessed his glory. But also, get this, it's all who believe in Jesus who will witness his glory. 
You get this? And from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The all here. The all here, I believe, is all believers. We have all received grace upon grace. Verse 12 made it very clear that to all who did receive Him. Remember before that, we're told that there were those who rejected Him. Even His own people rejected Him and many did not believe. But there were those who did believe and and all of those who believed. All who believed. To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And now John says, not only are you adopted as a child of God, not only do you receive sonship, but you also have His fullness. That's a profound thought. All those who believe have the fullness of Christ. John starts verse 16 by saying that from His fullness, that is the fullness of Christ, listen, listen, the fullness of God is in the Son. Is there any part of Jesus Christ that's not God? We've, we've seen the witness here. We've seen the witness here in John 1. And John the Baptist says, He ranks before me because He was before me. And then in verse 16, by saying that from His fullness, that's, that's the fullness of Christ, and the fullness of God is in the Son, Jesus Christ, and get this, the fullness of the Son is in those who believe. The fullness of Christ, full of grace and truth, full of everything you need, full of everything I need, is in the Son. And the fullness of the Son is in those who believe. This is for every believer. There's a reminder here that salvation is full and complete through Christ and Christ alone. Salvation is full in Christ. You don't need to do anything. You can't perform any good work to become acceptable in God's eyes except believe in His Son, the Son of God. Salvation is found in none other. We need Christ's fullness. We need true joy. We need true peace. We need true contentment. Isn't that how you spend your days? Let's see. I want joy. I want peace. And I want contentment. Right? And we just, we work really hard for those things. Sometimes we stop, we, we, we stop remembering this. We, we, we totally forget that real joy and real peace And real contentment, real fulfillment is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of what we need. The fullness of God is in the Son, and and the fullness of the Son is in His believers, those who believe in Him. Salvation is found in none other than Christ, and those who believe in the Word made flesh receive His fullness. You are complete in Christ. You hear that? I need to hear that. I need to be reminded of that. Do you need to be reminded of that? Sometimes I go through my week and I am, there are times when I think, I am a weakling. You ever feel like that way spiritually? God, I am such a, such a spiritual weakling. I know I displease you in many ways, right? And sometimes you feel like, wow, I just can't. How can I please God? You, you can please God. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the fullness of Christ living in you. 
empowering you, enabling you, equipping you to honor God with your life. More than anything else, when you believe in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are showered with His grace. And you, you have forgiveness of sins. And so you aren't expected to be perfect. We're not talking about going on with a license to sin. But you aren't expected to be perfect because Jesus Christ was the perfect sinless one and He took your punishment, He took mine. And this is for every believer the fullness of God is in the Son, and the fullness of the Son is in those who believe. And that means that you have what you need to live the Christian life. You need to take advantage of what God has given you and live, obedience, live in obedience to His Word and live by the power of the Spirit. That doesn't happen automatically, does it? We need to learn spiritual disciplines because we need to get the Word in and we need to be changed by the Word. And I think I noted it this morning in Sunday school. This means we've got to be diligent. This does not happen by osmosis. I tease my dad sometimes. My dad was an educator as I was growing up. He was also a pastor. So he's always my teacher and my pastor. It was terrible. Um, no, really, it was great. I'm, re- <laughs> I'm really thankful now. I learned to speak because he's an English teacher. How how good a thing that is that I can talk because I need to sometimes. But he would say, I was struggling with a test. He'd say, put the schoolwork under your pillow and sleep on it. It's like, yeah, right, thanks. That's really helpful. I'll do that. Sometimes I did. I'm not sure it helped. I think his point was, get your hands on the work, you know. Make it one with you. Open the book, read it, study it. Get, get so familiar with it, you sleep on top of it. You know, put it under your pillow. I wish I understood that then. But you need the Word. It is not going to happen if you just stick it under your pillow. You need to open it. You say, these are God's truths to me. This is how I'm supposed to live. This is how He empowers me by the Word. And, and I can't, I really can't put a finger on how this happens. So much of what God does happens when we take steps of obedience. It's just a powerful thing that God works in us by His Spirit is a supernatural thing that God works in us by His Spirit when we obey. When we take steps of obedience and open our hearts to the Word and get the Word in and talk to Him in prayer. And then take steps of obedience. Obey God's Word. Obey what you know from God's Word. And He will make His Word clear to you. And He will empower you and enable you to live for Him. That's the fullness of God through the Son, Jesus Christ, living in you, enabling you, and equipping you to do that. As an unbeliever, you cannot do that. I've met people who are unbelievers who said, I've read the Bible. doesn't mean anything to me. It's like, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't surprise me. Because you're not God's child. You haven't surrendered your life to Christ. When you do, the Word will start making sense. John says, we receive grace upon grace. From His fullness, we receive grace upon grace. Now, what is that? It's God's gracious goodness shown to us one on another, on another, on another, on another. I could go on and on. You don't want me to. It's God's grace, one on another, 
Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And we so often do not see God's grace at work in our lives. But let me just suggest that were it not for God's grace, let's, let me just suggest, let's suggest, and I don't want God to do this, but let's say he lifts his grace from us right now. We're dead. Think about the air you breathe. Think about the light you enjoy, the warmth of this place. Sometimes too warm, sometimes not warm enough, right? But God's grace, and those are little things. Those are little things. You say air? Yeah, that's a little thing to God. <laughs> it's grace upon grace, and in so many other ways, God layers His grace upon us. There's God's common grace that people in this world benefit from, even as people who, who would reject God and say, I don't believe that there is a God. They still partake of God's grace. Believe in Him or not. But as God's children, we have special measure of grace on us by His Spirit and by His Word and by His workings and by His doings. It's like, I can, I was thinking about, you know, what is this, this layer upon layer of grace upon grace? I was thinking about when, um, this is probably a very poor illustration for this, but when my son Luke orders pancakes. Carolyn's dad is very gracious to us at times. Sometimes when we visit him, he'll take us to Bob Evans for lunch or whatever. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. My kids are smiling. What does Luke order? He orders blueberry pancakes. Now order something responsible like, I don't know, stir fry or something like that. He gets blueberry pancakes. And there's, what, two or three of those things? And they're monsters. Big old plate. And I lean over and go, you need help? I'll help you with that. It's just three pancakes, right? But that's not it. There's like in stuffed inside. What's inside? Great big, great big juicy blueberries. Is your mouth watering yet? Great big juicy blueberries. And then that's not it. They put, could you believe they put whipped cream on top of those pancakes? And we're not done. I think they usually bring them like a side of butter. You put that butter on. Oh. Three big old pancakes with Juicy blueberries inside with big old pile of whipped cream on top and butter. Oh, and there's the the maple syrup. And they take the heat all and pour it out all over the top. That's a terrible illustration for God's grace upon grace. But <laughs> but you get the idea, right? I mean that is nothing. That is nothing. Your mouth is watering and so is mine. But that is nothing. Compared to God's grace upon grace upon grace, one good thing after another is how God does a work in our lives. Now, why do we need grace upon grace? Why do we need it? John points to the why. Look at verse 17. We need it. We desperately need it because verse 17 points to the law. For the law was given through Moses. You could just put a little but here, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. If it weren't for God's grace, we'd be under the law. And the law condemns you to death. Because you cannot keep the law. You have not kept the law. Neither have I. God gave his law to Moses. 
And Moses brought God's law to, to the people. Remember, this is God's law. And Moses brought God's law to the people, and the people were warned that there was punishment to be expected for breaking God's law. And people broke God's law. Now, certainly we see God's grace in the Old Testament. Even at times, think about it, from what you know from the Old Testament, at times God showed grace to those who didn't deserve it, who, who went against him, who broke his law. There were times God showed him his grace and did not punish them as they deserved. But God's grace was not by way of the law. It wasn't by law keeping. Because no one has kept the law. No one has kept every point of the law. And then we see it here in John 1. God sent his son. The word became flesh and we have seen his glory. And from his fullness, we've received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Think about this. If you are a follower of Christ, you have the fullness of God living in you and your life is is layered by God's grace. You are loaded. You are overloaded with God's grace. And it is a very good thing that that is true because by God's grace, you receive the full resources of of your infinite creator, and you have hope because of the grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ, God the Son. And then in verse 18, we have this clear statement about who Jesus is, just in case it's still not clear. One more time, the Apostle John says, just just one more time, let me make this clear. No one has ever seen God. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Have you seen God? No? Me neither. But, Jesus came. God the Son. Jesus came. Jesus is the only God. Look at it. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, who's that? Jesus Christ, the only God. He has made him known. Jesus came, and here John says, Jesus is the only God. In case we haven't gotten it yet, Jesus is the only God. And that statement is made even more clear by the next who is at the Father's side. And we praise God that Jesus Christ is at the Father's side because it's a, it is a pointer to the oneness and, and the intimacy between God the Son and God the Father. Jesus Christ reveals the Father. Jesus Christ reveals the Father. Jesus Christ makes God known. You want to know God? You know what God wants? You want to know what God wants for your life? Get to know the Son. Get to know His Gospel. Get to know the Word. Jesus, Son of God. Can I ask you a few closing questions this morning that I want you to think carefully about? 
Do you know the Son of God? Do you know the Son? Have you believed in the Son of God for the forgiveness of your sins? I don't ever want to take for granted that you are all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be foolish of me to do that. And so, after thinking very clearly about who Jesus is, I just stop and ask you, do you know the Son of God personally? And what I mean is, have you come to a point in your life when you realize, you stop saying, you know what, I am a sinner. I am a depraved sinner. And you stop and realize, this might sound bad, but you need to come to this point, that, that I have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Have you come there? Have you been there? You, you realize in your heart, in your mind, I'm a sinner and I desperately need God. But I, I can't get to God. I can't, I can't be good enough. And that's so true of every person in this room. That's why Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. Because by His grace, we're forgiven our sins when we believe in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it's a simple, it's a simple act, but it's a profound thing to, to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And to, and to go to God in prayer and say, God, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe in your Son and His finished work for me on the cross. Save me from my sins. And He will. He will. If you do that today, will you tell me? Will you tell a, a Christian friend here so that we can help you grow in Jesus Christ as you, as you grow as a new believer? Now let me ask you, those of you who, who say, I know Christ. I know Jesus Christ. I know the Son of God. If you know the Son of God, do you live for His glory? Do you live for His glory? You are not alone in this point where we struggle because often you and I do not live for His glory, right? We live for our glory in so many ways. But if you want to make the Son known to the world in, in which you live, you need to live for God's glory. And there are so many things that we could talk about about how you grow in this. But it's just back to this essential truth. You need to get yourself into God's Word and you need to be deliberate about it so that you know the truth. And the truth informs your heart. And the Spirit uses the truth that you're getting in to help you change your thinking and your actions and your conduct and your speech. And you become a child of God so much so that you make Him known. You can't stop yourself. That will be how we evangelize our community. When God's people become so fixed on making much of Christ with their lives, being obedient to God, living for God's glory. Do you honor the Son with your life? Do you obey His Word? Is your highest aim in life to please and honor God with your life? You want to make much of the Son of God. Honor God with your life, with your obedience. Know His Word. Obey His Word. That is, the, that is the priority for our lives as followers of Christ. But it is often the thing that we set aside, don't we? Often we set aside, well, I'm not sure. I'm, 
I'm going to think things about God today and, and being obedient to Him because I'm just kind of concerned about my problems and, and how to fix them. And I, I know we all have problems, and, and I probably don't know the half of your problems. But God knows your problems. And the Lord Jesus Christ suffered so that you could have hope in the midst of your problems when you seek to honor Him and glorify Him in all that you say and do. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Father in heaven, as we once again yield before you in prayer, I fa- Father, I pray that, that as we open the word before our eyes, it was opened before our hearts, and our hearts were yielded to you as we study the word together this morning. God, I pray and I ask that you would strengthen your people with the power of your word, and you would help us to see how, how essential it is that we make living for the glory of God our highest aim. And that this does not mean that we can't enjoy life and won't enjoy life. It means that this is the only way we will enjoy life. And this is the only way we will find hope in the midst of difficulties and challenges when we make Jesus Christ and, and glorifying Him number one. Second to everything. God, help us as your people to see the importance of this truth. God, we want to see people's lives changed and we want to see unbelievers repent of sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I'm convinced that when your people will surrender their lives to you and seek to to humble themselves before you and honor you in everything that they do and say, people will see the truth and hear the truth as as it pours forth from your people's mouths and lives because we won't be able to stop from telling about the grace upon grace upon grace of the Lord Jesus Christ piled on us. God, help us. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Give us your wisdom and your word and help us by your spirit to live for your glory and to honor and glorify you in everything that we do and say. And Father, I pray. Understand there may be unbelievers in our midst today and we are so thankful that you brought them here, God so that they could hear your truth and be challenged with the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And God, I pray that you would help them to believe. Open their their spiritual eyes to see and believe the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that they would humble themselves and just pray now and ask you to save them from their sins and believe as they believe in Jesus Christ. God, draw them to yourself. God, help us to be a people, help us to be a church that brings great glory to you. As we come again to your word and we're sheltered by this truth and encouraged by this truth and strengthened by it, but God, help us to not keep it to ourselves. Help us to leave this place today and go into the week ahead empowered and strengthened with, with your strength, with your wisdom to, to live for Christ and to make Christ known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.